you are listening to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're an evangelical covenant church located in western Wisconsin outside of Ellsworth, and you can find out more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and thank you for listening. Let's pray. Dear God, open our eyes to see you, our ears to hear you, and soften our hearts so that we might follow you. In your name, amen. Uh, So we are going to look in a minute uh, into Daniel chapter 4, if you want to get ahead of the game. Um, Excuse me. Uh, but as I, as I mentioned uh, earlier, um, I think we can all agree uh, that we are, and I, and I think this is true, I think um, for kind of all over the world, we are in a season of testing. Um, and the, the Bible actually talks about tests a lot. And so if you're interested, there's a really good, um, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a pastor, there's a really good video that I shared on our Facebook page Uh, about uh, tracing this idea of test through all of Scripture. So check that out. I've shared it on there. You can see it. I might share it again uh, because it it gives you a really good picture of the role that um, this uh, ancient idea of of the test plays in all of Scripture and and even our lives today. And and I believe that we are kind of, as a a community, uh, as a church, as individuals, as families, uh, we are in a season of testing. Um, uh, A season of testing is a time when things are not easy, (laughs) when everything seems complicated and difficult. Um, I think it's interesting. I don't think you write songs like Oceans in seasons of testing, right? Because uh, if you knew what you were praying for, maybe you wouldn't pray uh, that prayer. But nonetheless, I believe we really are in a season where almost all of our daily interactions have just that extra edge to it. Um, and so we're going to be looking at what that means uh, in Scripture and what it looks like to, um, to get out onto the other side of seasons of testing and what maybe God has to offer in that, uh, what's good about it even in the middle of the challenges. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to look at three different stories of testing and three different uh, kinds of, of testing. And I think it's up there. Perfect, Ella. You, you rock. Um, you know, we're talking about tests of fire. That's what we're talking about today. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about uh, tests of opportunity. And then the last week, we're going to talk about tests of, of temptation. So, um, and, and there's nothing, um, these are just different, this is just one way of looking at this idea of testing in Scripture. This isn't um, <clears throat> a category uh, that comes right out of the Bible or anything, but it's, it's related to kind of how we see these things. And, and so today, we're going to talk about tests of fire. Tests of fire are uh, times when um, the Bible actually talks about seasons, uh, it talks about being refined, um, that you go through the flames and you come out uh, stronger than you were before. Uh, Jesus, when he was talking to his uh, disciples, he talked about uh, pruning, um, about how God is a good gardener, and he comes in and he, and he cuts the pieces off the vine uh, that are not bearing fruit so that uh, fruit can grow. Uh, And you might not know this about um, vineyards. I I certainly didn't. But if you have too many leaves on the vine, there's not enough energy to produce good grapes. And so a good gardener comes in and snips off the leaves uh, that aren't producing fruit 
uh, so that there's um, energy from the sun and water from the ground and nutrients to produce really uh, good grapes. And Jesus says that's what God does with us. Uh, he, clean, he says cleans the vine. He prunes the vine. And, and I believe uh, that we're in a, in a season of, of testing, of cleaning, of sorting. And in tests of fire, uh, tests of, of pruning, are times when um, God allows us to face uh, challenges and trials, uh, when he lets us walk out above unknown waters. And as fun as it uh, is to sing and imagine that in reality, it's, it's difficult, it's, it's, it's painful. And so the question is always, um, are we going to hold on to God or uh, are we going to avoid the, the test? And so, um, like I said, this, this comes up all over Scripture. There are tons of stories in the Bible of human beings facing, uh, facing a, a trial, a challenge. And one thing that's uh, really clear in Scripture, um, it's not that God is causing the, the difficult thing to happen, um, but God is present in it. Uh, it's not that God is causing the bad thing to happen, but God is going to use it uh, to make um, the community, the church, the people come out on the other side different uh, than they were before. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, like I said, the Bible's all about, it's got all these tests, um, and I think it's, it's one of the best ways to think about the framework, uh, to, ways to think about the days that we're living in today. And so I wanted to focus on one, uh, one test story in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel. And like I said, these the stories are, are all over Scripture. Of course, you know on page three of the Bible there's a test story, but we're not going to get into that today. Um, so the book of Daniel, um, many of you probably know this, but, but really quick, it's about a time when God's people got captured by their most hated enemies, and uh, the kind of, um, in the capital city of Jerusalem, sort of the royal family and the attendants and the, like, um, the leaders of Jerusalem, what people would do in the ancient world, when you conquered a people, you, you scooped up all their leaders and you brought them back home with you. And, uh, and the reason for this was that you would you'd actually train them and give them jobs in, in kind of the royal court in your kingdom. And so uh, Daniel, uh, this nation called Babylon, takes over Israel. They scoop up all the kind of um, people of authority in Israel and bring them back to Babylon and their kids, and they train them uh, how to serve in, in Babylon. And the idea is that if you, if you pull those people out and you teach them and you kind of you make them Babylonians, then you can send them back to Jerusalem. They can rule on your behalf, and uh, that's kind of um, an ancient way of, of conquering someone. And so Daniel is about the people that got pulled up out of their home, dragged to their enemy's house, and how they figured out um, what it meant to follow God and to be loyal to God even in the middle of, of enemy territory. Um, and so it, it deals with this, this question, and the people in Daniel... And I think they're asking this question that I think all of us have asked at one time or another. You know, how do you live? What do you do when you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, right? This isn't where they wanted to be. This is not their home. This is a bad place. So how do you live when you're in the wrong place at the wrong time? What do you do? How can you be faithful when uh, you leave home and you go to a place that's different uh, kind of than who you are? Or, or more often, I think for us, how can we be faithful when our home doesn't always feel like home. When uh, events happen and things happen that, um, that just make even the world around us change and it, and it doesn't feel good, how do we, how do we live faithfully in that? So, <clears throat> so Daniel 4 um, 
is this continuation of the story. And so we've, we've got these characters. Daniel's not in this one, but it's Daniel. And then there's these three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what's interesting about their names is those are, are Babylonian names. Um, when you'd capture people, you'd give them new names so that they'd start to identify with you, right? And so it's a Daniel, or a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's about them trying to figure out how to stay loyal to God in the home of their enemy. And every day, every chapter of Daniel is a different test. It's a different test of, of what they're going to do. You know, when they first arrive, the question is, are they going to resist their captors? Or are they going to fight back? Are they going to run away? Or are they going to work with them? Uh, well, God uh, leads them actually to work with their enemies, to, to, to work with them. And so they do. Uh, the next test comes up almost right away. Are they going to wear Babylonian clothes? Are they going to let the Babylonians change their Hebrew names into Babylonian names? And, and they do. Uh, and the next, the next section, the question is if they're going to eat Babylonian food or not, right? This is a, it's a, an empire-building strategy, right? They're trying to make these um, Israelites, these Jewish kids, into Babylonians so that they can um, rule on their behalf. They want them to eat Babylonian food so they'll get get strong, <clears throat> but God has said um, has really specific dietary requirements on what God's people should eat or not, and so they've got to decide, are they going to eat the Babylonian food or not, and they decide uh, that God's leading them to, to not, uh, so they ask for an all-vegetable diet so they can keep, keep kosher, and, they, and, and it's funny, <clears throat> they actually just kind of go up to the guy in charge and they say, hey, please, can we do this to keep our customs, and he lets them try it out, and God blesses it. And, and as you read Daniel, you'll notice that things go really, really well at first. Like, things are really going well in Daniel. As hard as it is, um, they're working for Babylon. They're adopting some customs. They're resisting others. They're trying to remain faithful to God. And something amazing happens. Everything that they touch in, the, the, in Babylon's royal court, it just turns to gold, right? Everything's going well. The decisions they make are wise and good, and people are noticing how smart they are and how good they are at their jobs, how strong they are, and they keep getting promoted. Uh, Daniel and also uh, our three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And <clears throat> they may be, right, they might be in the wrong place at the wrong time, but it seems like things are really working out for them uh, until, uh, and I meant, I guess, Daniel chapter 3, I, misspoke, yeah. So right here in Daniel chapter 3, um, things, things change. Um, so the king, his name is Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm just going to read it. Um, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Uh, they've raised up so high, they're actually in charge of the province of Babylon. How crazy is that? Um, so the king builds this beautiful statue, and then he sends messengers to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, all the people in charge of stuff. He has a big dedication ceremony for the statue, and, and how it's going to work is, is this. Um, <clears throat> we're all going to gather around this beautiful statue of the king, and, and this is, again, this is ancient empire building. Uh, ancient kings uh, asked to be thought of as gods, or at least God's representatives. And so um, the king builds a big, beautiful statue of himself. He gets all the higher-ups to stand around it. And he says, okay, here's the deal. When you hear the music, bow down and worship. Um, you know, this is the decree. And, and if you don't, um, you're going to be thrown into a blazing furnace, okay? Again, it's a, it's a loyalty test, right? You're an empire builder. You've got all these people from different cultures, different tribes, different religions all around. You've brought them into your home. You're trying to make them into... Um, 
into kind of your servants to go then rule out over the world. So you say, let's get on the same page. Loyalty test time. Worship me, the statue of gold, uh, and, and you won't get thrown into the fire. And so he builds this statue. And um, <clears throat> the trouble of this, of course, is it's our next test for our, our, nice, our nice Jewish boys. Um, they stand in the plane, and they're wondering, right, okay, what are we going to do? Because there's two choices. It's bow down at the statue. It's enter the flames. And, and whenever you're going through a season of trial or testing or even positive opportunities, uh, we always have these moments where, okay, you know, we've been following, we think we've been doing the right thing for a while, but it just sort of got raised to the next level. Um, and this is that for them, you know. They were getting along good. They were working well. They were on the same team as their captors, feeling pretty good about that. Um, but, but the stakes just got raised. And whenever the stakes get raised, you have this moment where you get to choose, right? Are you going to keep following how God's leading and calling? Or are you going to say, you know what? It's, it's not worth it, right? You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't need to have a book written about them. Uh, they didn't know a book was being written about them. And as they're standing just in their own hearts in front of this situation, they think, you know, God's blessed us, but I don't know if it's worth it uh, to end it all here. Maybe I'll just sort of, you know, lean down or whatever so that I don't get noticed, keep going. But, uh, but they are, are convicted that they cannot remain loyal to God and bow down to uh, another statue. There's just no way they can do that. They're sunk. And so, so they've got to choose what matters to you. Who do you trust? Do you trust the power of the Babylonians, who they've been working with? Do they trust the God that let them get captured and brought into the home of the Babylonians? What, what are they going to do? It's the ultimate test of, of trust. And so the time comes, everybody's standing in the field, the note plays, all these music, all this music, and, and everybody bows down uh, except for, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they've got to be worried. You know, this is loyalty test day. And what I love about this story is you read it, nothing happens right away. <laughs> they, they probably maybe even feel like they sort of got away with it. Like, oh, awesome. No problem. Nobody cares. Um, but, but before long, uh, their co-workers, uh, they rat them out to the king. And they say, hey, king, um, are you letting uh, those guys not bow down? I thought you said they were going to get thrown in the fire. And so now if you're the king... And you said things are going to be one way, and then people act another way. Uh, what do you have to do? You got to do something about it, right? Or people are going to think that you don't stick to what you say. And and so uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he he really likes them, right? He really trusts them. They've done amazing things. Uh, it continues in verse fourteen. He he gathers them together, the king, and he says, uh, "Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or?" to worship the gold statue that I've set up. So he's, he's given them a chance. Is it true? This is what they've said. Is, is that true? And he gives them a chance to change their minds. He says, hey, here's, here's another chance. He says, verse 15, I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue that I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's mad. He's challenged by them, right? Uh, and he's got to act. He's got to do uh, what he needs to do. And, and he says, here's your chance. I'm going to give you guys uh, grace. Come be on the team. 
you didn't pass the loyalty test right away, but I still, I'm going to give you a second chance. Just come and bow down. And again, if you're Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, uh, you know, not Bible characters, but imagine you're just a normal person in that situation. You just, you know, we're just going to do this little private one over here. You just do it really quick. Life goes back to normal. I won't make you do it ever again, right? Uh, and, and maybe you, you've got to wonder if you're standing there in that moment, right? Is it worth it? Is this moment worth my, my life? Is it worth um, entering the flames? And, and people that have read these words in Daniel for centuries, for thousands of, of years, um, they've faced choices like this. Uh, we all face choices like this, and it might not look like a, like a furnace and a gold statue and all this weird Old Testament stuff, but we all face choices in our daily lives as we interact with others as we go to work, as we have relationships with people where we are constantly asked to make a choice. Are we going to do um, what we think God is calling us to do that might make things hard for us? Are we going to let it slide and go do something else? And when you face um, the most extreme versions of these choices, you know, you wonder, why does this have to happen to me? Why did I get picked to stand in front of the furnace? Why do I, you know, one thing I hear from people all the time uh, especially a few months ago when things were getting so crazy and the conflict and the protests and the virus and all this stuff. And people were like, why do I have to live in this time? <laughs> you know, why couldn't I have lived, you know, 50 years ago when everything was nice? Why can't it be like those days? Why can't it be easy to be faithful? Why do I got to be up above these oceans? Um, and then perhaps the other question that we ask as we read this story and we face our own fires is, you know what? It's not worth it. Why don't I just give up? And I have no doubt in my mind as a human being um, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego might have wondered the same thing too, right? Why don't they, you know, they can run. <laughs> maybe they could fight. Uh, maybe they could beg or plead for a different option. Or they could just bow down, but, but they don't, right? They don't beg. They don't fight. They don't run. Instead, they make a choice to be faithful, to face the test that's in front of them. It says this, in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He'll rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Uh, so now they've, they've cast the die. They've made the call, and they said, we believe that God has the power to save us, but even if he doesn't, it, it doesn't matter because we, uh, we trust in him. And the king is, is furious, right? And, and you totally get it because he said, I'm the God. These are my gods. Worship them. And they said, you can't touch us even with a, a blazing furnace. And so the king says, all right, well, I guess we'll see. And so he stokes the furnace up, gets it really, really hot, uh, and, and he gets two of his guards to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they go up and they shove him in the furnace. And, and it's, you read Daniel, the furnace is so hot that the two guards that shove them in, they uh, get killed by the flames. Okay, this is like, this guy's mad. So two people, two people that bowed down already lost their lives to the flames. Uh, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get, get pushed in. And as you read uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel 3 and 4, you'll notice that uh, the three are they're unharmed right? They, they don't uh, get burned up. And the king, he, he looks into the furnace from as close as he can get, 
and he can see um, four uh, silhouettes walking around in the flames, uh, walking around in the flames. And he says, didn't, uh, didn't you tie uh, three men up and throw them in the furnace? He asks his, his official, and they say, yes, your majesty, we tied up all three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, they replied, and then Nebuchadnezzar says this, he says, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth uh, looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So they do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego step out of the fire. Then the high officials, officers, governors, and visors crowded around them and see that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head was singed. Their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. And then King Nebuchadnezzar says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel, his messenger, to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. And, and there's so much to notice in this story as they, as they enter the flames and they're not concern, consumed and they come out, their step of faith to go into the fire. Uh, but uh, the thing that um, sticks out to me and, and is obvious as you read it, that not only um, were there three people in there, there was a, a fourth person in the flames. Uh, the king sees a fourth figure. The fourth figure doesn't come out of the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king says um, he believes that this fourth uh, thing was an angel. And the, the Bible word that we use, angel, we have all these images and ideas attached to what an angel is and wings and all this stuff. But, but King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know anything about that. Uh, angel is just a messenger of God. He says, I believe that that person that looked like God is a, is a messenger of the most High God. They're saved. Their lives are saved. God is glorified, right? King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he confesses faith in their God. Um, God wins, right? The king, uh, later he issues this special decree um, that will protect anyone who worships uh, the God of the Israelites. Uh, the three, they get promoted. You know, it's, it's all great. Um, but the question that I have for us is this, as we come to the end of the story, as they walk out of the flames, they don't even smell like smoke. The question is this, what if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had, had run away or fought their captors? What would have happened? We, we don't know, right? Uh, what would have happened? What if they had given in to the test? Um, what, what would have happened to the other uh, Jewish people in the community that were now protected by the king. But most importantly, um, if they hadn't gone into that furnace, if they hadn't gone into that fire, the king would never have seen that figure, the fourth person. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would never have had this incredible encounter with God or God's representative, his angel, right? Had they never gone into the fire, they never would have seen that, um, that surprising presence of God. Had they not gone into the fire, would they have encountered God in the story? No, right? No. Uh, you know, none of us want to face tests. None of us want to face trials or challenges or flames. Uh, but, but the more um, you read scripture and the more I talk to people that have lived lives of faith, it is often in the tests and the trials of fire that people actually see and encounter God. When you live an easy life, 
Your encounters with God are, are small. We miss them. We take them for granted. We sing songs like, God, give me more faith without challenge. But when we face the flames of, with faith, we see God and we come out on the other side new. Um, one more story, right? The, the night before Jesus goes to the cross, uh, and he goes to this garden we call the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Jesus knows what's coming, right? He's walked the earth. He's God's son. He knows where this is headed. People are getting mad at what he said. He knows trouble is coming. He's declared himself uh, to be a king and and celebrated as as more than even a human king. Uh, And Jesus knows what's coming. He knows the men with swords are coming to capture him, to kill him. He knows about the beating. He knows about the nails. He knows about the cross. And as Jesus sits in the garden on the night before he's crucified, he weeps. Because uh, even though Jesus is God, fully God, uh, he's also fully human. And so he weeps just like we do as we stand outside of a furnace, outside of a trial in the middle of trouble. He weeps. Uh, Jesus did not want to face the flames on his path. And we have evidence of this because he prayed that God would take this cup from him. He says, uh, God, may the test not be necessary. He wished for something else, but he also trusted and said, not my will, but yours be done, Father. And in that moment, as Jesus is weeping and praying in the garden, he resolves himself to surrender to the ones that will kill him, to not use his, his power of being God's own son to fight, to not run or flee or avoid the situation. He refuses to run. He refuses to fight. He refuses to do anything else. Instead, the God of the universe in a garden refused to use his power to defend himself. He allowed himself to be hung on a cross and killed for their sin. And we believe that he died on that day for our sin too, carrying in his body all of the tests that we fail every day. All of the evil that we've done and all the good that we've walked away from, Jesus carries that on his body and he dies with it for us. And, and instead of not being consumed by the flames like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, Jesus dies on that cross. He lays dead in a cave. His friends hide. And you start to wonder if there's going to be a fourth man to show up and save the day. Will God show up? But on the third day, he walks out of the tomb, shining different. And we believe that because of that, um, if we accept his grace and admit our failure of our test, he's passed the test on our behalf. And that one day, we'll walk out of our own tombs, uh, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked out of the fiery furnace without a hint of the smell of smoke on their clothes. We'll walk out of our tombs without a hint of the stench of death. Now, had Jesus resisted his captors and run away, who would defeat death? No one, right? Had he given in, had he surrendered, had he decided to find a way uh, to, to avoid the cross, who would offer us resurrection? No one, right? No one. Because it's in the tests of flames that we see God. And when we face the flames with faith, 
we see God and come out on the other side new. Uh, you know, most of my life growing up, when I thought of uh, encountering God or getting closer to God, what I imagined uh, was going on a retreat and singing worship songs and spending time quietly praying by myself. And all that stuff's really important, right? Um, and I think that's how we, how we want to meet God. When I want to meet God, I want to do it in a beautiful place, and it's a perfect, wonderful day outside. The wind's not blowing, and no one's there to bother me, and it's just you're feeling really good. That's what I always imagine what it means to grow closer to God, to meet God. But the reality is (laughs) that in this life, we meet God often more in the hardship, more in the flames, because it's in hardship that we grow in faith. It's in heartbreak that we learn what love looks like. And it's in the tests of flame that we see God. Because it's only in death that we see resurrection. Uh, James, uh, Jesus' brother, James, uh, says it like this. I think it just captures it. He says, to a group of people that are facing their own flames and their own trials that want to give up and throw in the towel, he says this in James 1, 2, and 4. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. When we emerge on the other side of flames, God shows up. We're stronger. We're closer to him. And so in this moment, in these months, in these weeks of frustration and change and uncertainty of of conflict and fear and division, these uh, moments where we wish that we could just flip a switch and make life regular and normal and comfortable again, uh, let's remember that God works even in the fire to teach us who he is and who we are. And so as we face tests of flames, my invitation uh, to you is that you would rely on God. Uh, Stop worrying about accomplishing something big during this time, but instead cling to God. Remember that he has been through worse before. I'd invite you to rely on others. And and I'll give you the one thing that the New Testament says over and over again uh, in the letters to these churches of people that are facing just trials that you and I wouldn't believe. Uh, The the letters basically just say, cling on to God and don't stop. (laughs) Don't give up. Uh, That's the message of all the New Testament letters. If you want to boil them down to the very core is, is don't you quit on me. So may we reach out and care for each other. May we show each other love. May we walk together through these flames and remind each other, don't you quit because God has not quit on you. I want to invite you uh, to pray with me this morning. Lord God, as we come before you, uh, we recognize that um, the tests that we face are beyond our ability. We don't have the faith that it takes. We don't have the strength. We don't have the intelligence. We don't have the ability to pass these tests. We need you. We fail. We sin. We walk away. We give up. We quit too soon. And so, Lord, we we confess that this morning. We need you. And we believe, Lord, that your son, Jesus, lived and died and rose again on our behalf. 
that he passed the test on our behalf. And Lord, we accept that. We thank you. And we ask, Lord, through this season that you would transform us more and more into the people that you are making us into because you're not surprised by what we're facing. And only you can use the flames to refine your people. Only you can use hardships to make us uh, grow into what you have imagined for us, Lord. We accept your grace and ask for your presence. In your name, amen. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward. Let's conclude our service in praise. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about our church, our live stream, and our in-person services at BethelCove.org. Thanks and have a great week.